Hello, and welcome to Health Views with Deb Friesen, MD, a podcast about health and wellness within today's healthcare landscape. I'm your host, Dr. Deb Friesen with Kaiser Permanente, and I've been working in healthcare for over 20 years. During that time, I've learned that the most powerful tool for healing is the power of listening and the value of asking the right questions. Come join me as we'll together explore timely topics that impact people, businesses, and communities. Now let's check out today's view. I am your host, Dr. Deb Friesen, and this is Health Views with Deb Friesen, MD. And today we're going to do something just a little bit different. I spend a lot of time not only looking for guests and researching for the podcast, but with webinars and presentations and conferences. And one of the things that always comes up as a topic of interest is, how is it that I can do better? I wish I could change my habits. So we're going to spend some time today talking about exactly that. And hopefully what you're going to hear are some small steps that you can use to invigorate your life. So let's get started. So when I think about change management or changing my own behavior, sometimes I feel a little worn out or tired thinking about something that I have to get done again. And what I'd really like for you to leave this conversation with are some ideas about how you can change some of your behavior, which in turn changes your life, leaving you actually feeling more invigorated, energized, and peaceful. So let's start with what a habit is. They really govern our lives, and we have found that research shows that around half of our daily actions are driven by repetition. I know that's true with me. I get up at the same time, go to bed about the same time. There's a lot of activities that you could really look at my day, day to day, and know what I'm going to be doing. My dog certainly does. And this is probably why behavioral scientists and psychologists have spent so much time writing about how to establish and keep positive habits. And we're thinking about things like regular sleep, an exercise program, a healthy diet, an organized schedule, mindfulness. Those are just a few examples of practices that if we do them regularly, can really improve our work, our relationships, and our mental health. But you know, sometimes those things don't come naturally. So what does it take to build a new habit? There are a lot of books out there that I'm going to be referring to, and we're going to talk about the neuroscience, the neurobiology of building habits so that you have something that you can pull out when you want to do just a little something different and make it easy for yourself. Now, a lot of us talk about routines. There's a lot of habits. There's a great book out there called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. The author is Nir Eyal, and he says that it's a common fallacy that routines and habits are actually interchangeable. And if we believe that, we're actually going to be disappointed. We tend to blame ourselves when we don't get into new habits, and partly it's because we are falling back on willpower. And if we can understand how those things are different, we can then have different expectations about what we need to do. So unlike habits, routines are uncomfortable and require a concerted effort. So waking up early to go for a run every morning or meditating for 10 minutes every night are rituals that we have to establish. They're routines, and sometimes they can be hard to keep up. Now, habits, on the other hand, just are ingrained in our daily lives, and it feels strange not to do them. For instance, if I get into the car and I don't buckle up, that feels really weird to do, but I don't have to think about it. I get in the car, I buckle up, 
And the only discomfort would come if I didn't do that. So think about those as separate events. Both have a place, but what we're going to be talking about more today is actually a habit, which is something that we do in a regular and repeated way. And because it's a habit, we don't have to think about it all the time. James Clear writes in the book Atomic Habits that your life today is essentially the sum of your habits, how in shape or out of shape you are, a result of your habits, how happy or unhappy you are, a result of your habits. You can see where he's going. All of these things become cumulative, and it's really on us to develop those small habits, those small actions that we don't have to think about all day long. Every choice and decision requires some mental energy. But the thing is, we run out as it goes, as the day goes on. We become susceptible to fatigue. And that is why it is actually much easier for me to turn down a donut at eight in the morning than a cookie at three in the afternoon. I've run out of that mental energy. And one huge benefit of habits is that you don't have to choose to do it anymore. You just do it. According to the Power of Habit author Charles Duhigg, habits are an important force that our brains actually cling to because they create neurological cravings where a certain behavior is rewarded by the release of pleasure chemicals on the brain. So literally, our habits shape our actions that then shape our brains, and it shifts so that we're proactively making decisions that become more and more automatic. So if you want to change something, you do have to do something different. You have to take action. Information isn't enough. Willpower isn't enough. And there's three things that we do that change lastingly. One is an epiphany. Oh my gosh, something came down from on high. Nothing will be the same again. We can change our environment. Man, you could put me in a different environment. I'm going to have totally different habits based on that. And we can change our habits in tiny ways. And that's what we're going to do is think about how are the tiny ways that we can change our habits. I mentioned that it's really not about willpower. We are running out of that as the day goes on. We want to be intentional about the things that we want to change. Not everything can blossom into a habit. So sometimes things just require too much concentration, too much deliberation, too much effort to just become an automatic thing. An example of that would be playing an instrument. You actually have to sit down and think about it. It's not necessarily a habit. Maybe the sitting down becomes a habit, but the playing itself, unless you've got that memorized by heart, you've played it 200 times, it's not going to be automatic for you. Journaling. You know what? Sitting down to journal can maybe become a habit, but because you're thinking about what you're writing, it's not effortless. It actually requires conscious thought. So you need to reflect on what you're trying to achieve and why, and look for that why behind everything that you do. So let's talk about the neurobiology of habits themselves. A lot of good books out there. I've mentioned a couple already. Tiny Habits by B.J. Fogg. Judson Brewer talks about anxiety as a habit in Unwinding Anxiety. And I think I've mentioned the others, Atomic Habits by James Clear, Smarter, Faster, Better by Charles Duhigg. They all break down the habits into two to four different things. We're going to, we're actually going to go with four. So starting out is the trigger or the cue. 
So your mind is actually constantly scanning and analyzing your environment for hints of where rewards are located. And a cue is the first sign that you are close to a reward. So it might be the smell of something when you walk by. There is something that is nearby that's going to give you a reward. And this step triggers your brain to start a behavior. And since it means you're close to a reward, it actually says, you know what, we're going to go to that second step, which is the craving. And the craving is really the motivational force behind every habit. They give you that reason to act. It's really important, though, to keep in mind that what you're craving isn't the habit itself, but rather the change in you that you get from it. So when you smell those French fries, it's not because you're craving a French fry all the time. It's because you're hungry and something smelled good. So it's the relief that it brings. You're no longer hungry. When you eat a big meal, you're not going to crave French fries in that same way. When I brought up the seatbelt example, when you're wearing your seatbelt, it's not that you're craving feeling safe. You just want to get rid of that feeling of I'm supposed to be doing something. So We don't crave to click our seatbelt. We crave to complete that whole habit cycle itself. So in the end, it's really that our cravings stem from a desire to change our internal state. And for a lot of folks, it can be that we're changing our internal state through actions, eating, drinking, those kinds of things as well. After the trigger or the cue, after the craving, there's a response. There's a behavior. And it is the response that actually creates that habit that you perform. And it could be a thought. It can be an action. And sometimes it really depends on how motivated you are. So sitting at my desk and you know what? I'm really craving chocolate. Now, the response that I can have is, you know, if it's in the kitchen, really easy for me to just get up, go over and get a chocolate. I have satisfied my craving but maybe there's no chocolate in the house. That means I would have to get in the car, drive to the grocery store, go through the self-checkout before I could actually satisfy that craving. And if I'm not motivated, I'm not going to do it. And that's going to dampen out. I just am not going to respond to that craving that I have. Now, when I talk about the neurobiology of habits, when we go through all of those, in the end, you get that thing, right? There is the reward. And I talk to people about what really creates the habit is not the cue or the trigger, because my cue or trigger wouldn't trigger you. It's the reward that you get from that habit. The cue notices the reward, the craving wants the reward, and the response obtains the reward. So again, I've now been rewarded. I'm eating those french fries or I'm eating that chocolate. This is why I even have a cue or a trigger in the first place. Now, why do we chase rewards? Well, they satisfy our cravings, but they also teach us what actions we should remember in the future. I'm going to give you a different kind of example here. I was about to run out of gas, you know, when that light comes on and all of a sudden the panic sets in and all of a sudden, right, I have a cue, I have a trigger. Now, not for a habit, but for a behavior for sure, which is, oh my gosh, where is there a gas station around here? I need to figure this out so I don't run out of gas and I'm not stranded. And lo and behold, about half mile down the road was a gas station I didn't even pay attention to. Never knew it was there before, but it was there in the nick of time for me. I pulled in, got my gas. Now here's the thing. It served a purpose for me. It helped me with my internal discomfort 
I filled my tank. I got rid of the craving that I had. And now I know it's a memory cue that I will never forget where that gas station is. And we have a lot of geography-based cues, a lot of memory-based cues. And this is so that we can survive. Back in the cave days when we had to learn where food was, hey, you know what? In this season, at this place, this, this bush is full of berries. We've got a cue and a reward, and we're going to remember that. So this is how it all gets set up. And it's that feel good, that reward at the end that helps it really lock that learning loop in. Now, we've been talking about good habits, but that happens with bad habits as well. So maybe last night you weren't feeling so great. You had a hard day, you're tired, and you come home and you remember there is that cheesecake on the counter or in the fridge. And our modern brain tells us that we can use that feel-good chemical, that dopamine, for more than remembering where food is. So you eat that cheesecake, you feel good, and so the next time you feel bad, well, you can try eating something yummy and you're going to feel good. So one of the things I want you to remember, again, you've got cue, trigger, behavior, response, and reward. The easier it is a behavior to do, the more likely we're going to make that behavior into a habit. Now, a lot of people think that you have to do a habit for a certain amount of days. You don't. A certain amount of times, you don't. There are instant habits out there. And by way of example, just put your hand on your smartphone. Did anyone really consciously develop a habit of checking their smartphone a hundred times a day? No, it was built in. It gave us a reward for doing that. We didn't have to consciously do it. So there's bad habits sometimes, also good habits that we don't have to think about. The reward is actually built right in there and you didn't have to do it for 30 days. Probably only had to do it once or twice and boom, we've got that habit going. Now, if we're going to think about establishing a habit, though, if we're going to change habits, the easier we make it, the more effective it's going to be to establish that as a true habit. One of the things that you need to do as you're thinking about the habit you want to do is anticipate barriers. Why haven't you done this already? Why isn't this already a habit? What has stopped you in the past? Is it time? Is it fear? Is it shame? So be anticipating what those barriers are so that you can avoid that from happening in the future. It's one of those tools that you can use to make yourself a lot more successful. So even if you've got grand ambitions, intentions, plans, anticipating what those barriers are, and then responding with your plans and how you're actually going to go about doing that. Dr. Wood wrote a book, Good Habits, Bad Habits, The Science of Making Positive Changes That Stick. And he says the forces that get in the way of good habits are called friction. And by way of example, he talks about a study that was done with researchers who only changed the timing of elevator doors so that the workers had to wait nearly a minute for the doors to close. Now, normally the doors close after about 10 seconds. This was just enough of a delay that it convinced a lot of people that taking the stairs was easier than waiting for the elevator. And he says it really shows how sensitive we are to small frictions in our environments. Just slowing down the elevator got people to take the stairs. And they stuck with it even after the elevator went back to normal timing. Now I'm going to give you the opposite of this example, still using the elevator. 
There was a manager in an office building who got a lot of complaints that the elevators were just too slow. They just didn't open in time. They were tired of waiting. Now, that wasn't under their control to be able to change how fast the doors went, how fast it went between floors. So what did they do? They installed a mirror beside the elevator and gave people something to do while they were waiting. So they looked at their hair, they checked out their outfits, and the complaints about the elevator went down infinitesimally. So kind of interesting again, what is the barrier? What is the friction? And how can you modify that in order to make it more likely that you will do that desired behavior? So when we think about making new habits stick, it's really, really important that we, again, think of rewards because not every behavior has a reward that is naturally attached to it. Again, when I have a craving for chocolate, I get up and go to the kitchen and I have chocolate. That is my reward. Now, what about if I'm trying to work on getting stronger, which I am, and I'm doing a body weight exercise? Well, you know, I just, I'm tired at the end. There's no reward in there. So sometimes we have to think about what that reward is going to be. And remember, the purpose of a reward is to satisfy your craving. So what is going to help feel good when you are done with that new behavior that you're trying to make into a habit? It's really vital that you think of what that reward is, that celebration is, And that's how you actually get lasting change from your own behavior. BJ Fogg says that you have to celebrate and you have to celebrate immediately. And his rule is that you say or do something either inside your head or externally that makes you feel good and creates a feeling of success. So that might be saying awesome out loud or thinking to yourself, good job. And what matters even more than how you celebrate is the immediacy and intensity of the celebration after doing the habit. So after I do my body weight exercise, I will literally give myself a high five and I say, good for me when I finish a workout. And if my husband is in the vicinity, he will also chime in, good for you, sweetie. And you know what? It is good for me. And I'm going to celebrate that because now I am more likely to make that into a lasting change. You should rehearse that. Think of what you're going to do to celebrate in your mind. Go through the exercise that you're wanting to do, the habit that you're wanting to make, and then celebrate with your awesome or good for me or high five. Now, one of the questions we get is about replacing habits. And there are some things that you can do there as well. One is really controlling your environment. If I'm trying to avoid chocolate, I do want to make it hard to go get it. I want to have the barrier. I want to create friction. So think about your environment if there's some things that you want to do. Maybe you're trying to change too many habits at once. Our brains don't like a lot of change. They don't feel safe when that happens. And we can get overwhelmed and anxious, even if we're not conscious of it. So get smaller if that's what's happening. You also need to think about, is this the right time in my life? I've had many a patient who's going through some trauma and says, you know what? I think I just need to do X, Y, or Z. And I'm like, whoa, let's dial it back. Things are really stressful right now. Let's find a really small, easy thing to do that's still going to help you meet your goals. 
One thing too is think of a habit that's behavioral, but not the outcome. A lot of people have goals and they want to lose a certain amount of pounds, let's say. Don't confuse a goal with a habit. And also, if you're building a habit in service of a goal, focus on the habit, not on the outcome. I walked for five days last week and I haven't lost a pound. You know what? Focus on the yes, celebrate. You walked for five days last week rather than what's weighing on the scale. And again, it's really certain that all of those small changes add up and you have to really believe that. Drastic changes are difficult to make, but if you make just a 1%, a 2% change, they're going to come around to have those bigger ones as well. So when we think about building that habit out together, we want to start small. I've talked about the fact that our brains do not want to have the resistance that comes with something big. Change is literally scary. We get our fight or flight response. There's a lot of resistance in there. So little change or Kaizen, if you've heard of that, really bypasses that whole alarm route. The other thing that you want to have is a growth mindset. Carol Dweck talks about that. A fixed mindset is this is just the way I am. And a growth mindset is really this is how I am and I can change. Going back to BJ Fogg, he says that we want to have something that's really small. Again, instead of jogging two miles, maybe we want to walk for five minutes. It's better to do that every single day and do that five-minute walk than to do a two-mile jog once a week. And if it's small, it's fast. We can start with being successful right this moment. We can start now. Small is safe. And it can grow into something bigger. And quite honestly, it just doesn't take as much motivation or willpower when we're starting really small. So BJ Fogg says to stop judging yourself, take those aspirations, break them down into tiny behaviors. And then if you do make a mistake, embrace it. Use it as a discovery. And again, use it to move forward. So let's get to the nitty gritty of building a habit. There is something out there called implementation intentions. And said another way, it's the strong effects of simple plans. Said another way, it's kind of a way of pre-deciding what you're going to do. So basically said, it's a when I fill in the blank, then I fill in the blank. Let me give you an example. When I go to the kitchen to get hot water for my tea, then I will do countertop push-ups. And that's what I do. So every time I go and I replace my hot water, I do five countertop push-ups. And that actually has me doing about 30 to 50 push-ups a day because it's now just become a habit. When I go over, I do five of those push-ups. When I or after I brush my teeth, then I will floss a tooth. After I pull into the driveway when I come home from work, then I will take three deep breaths, really center myself, leave my work in the car, and enter in the house ready to engage with my family. So what you're doing is taking an existing routine and adding a new behavior, and don't forget the reward. So when I go get my hot water, then I do my countertop push-ups and I 
give myself a high five and say, good for me. So think about some of those recipes that you could do for yourself in order to build that habit. Think of an anchor moment. This is something that you're already doing. It's an existing routine, you know, brushing your teeth in the morning, um, folding up your clothes at night. But think of an anchor moment, figure out that behavior that you want to do and make it small. Get it really, really, really small. And if you're finding yourself resisting it still, make it even smaller. And don't forget, you need to celebrate instantly. So making it stick again is part of that whole celebration. So when I, then I, this has been proven to work over and over. You can do it for yourself in order to remind yourself of something that you want to do, something that you need to do, but anchoring it, tying it to an existing behavior and having that be very much anticipated, spelled out and rewarded. So when you are building that new habit, again, rehearse it. So even if I don't need hot tea, I'm going to go into the kitchen when I'm starting this new habit. I'm going to pretend I'm getting the tea. I'm going to do my push-ups against the counter. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to do that three to five times because it's really helping to get that set in my brain. And now I have just done a new micro habit. And when that habit then gets tied to when I get up from my chair, then I will do five chair lunges. Then I start adding these habits together in such a way that I'm building one on top of the other. And it just doesn't take a lot of mental energy for me to get that done. So I hope that as you think about your own life, as you think about the things on your to-do list, that you also think about ways that you can actually invigorate your day-to-day. Don't let building new habits become a burden. One of the pieces of advice I give is, when I look at my calendar, then I will decide which meeting I can take as a walking meeting. And then I get to talk and walk and have a meeting, get my fitness in there at the same time, and I kill two birds with one stone. It's wonderful. I feel accomplished. I still went to my meeting. I still got something done. When I look at my calendar, then I will see if there's a meeting that I don't actually have to go to this week. And then my reward is I have the gift of a half hour that I gave myself just by previewing my calendar. When I do my bedtime routine, then I am going to read a short poem by Mary Oliver from the Devotions book, and I'm going to be able to settle in with some really nice, lovely thoughts. And so these little, little things just make my life better in subtle but real ways. And they start to add up to living a life of more joy. And that's what I want for you as well. If you have any more questions, check out the reading that I referenced. There's some really great books out there. Let me run through them with you again. Tiny Habits by B.J. Fogg, subtitled The Small Changes That Change Everything. James Clear wrote a book called Atomic Habits, Tiny Changes, Remarkable Results. Gretchen Rubin wrote Better Than Before, Mastering the Habits of Our Everyday Lives. And I talked about how Judson Brewer talked about anxiety as a habit. His book is called Unwinding Anxiety. And then last but not least, Rethinking Positive Thinking. 
Inside the New Science of Motivation by Gabriel Ottingen. So lots of resources out there. I think it is helpful to reinforce the message to help yourself get that whole neurobiology in your brain. But what I would really wish for you right this moment is to think of your own behavior change recipe, your own implementation intention. I know that there's something that you've got that you wish you were doing more of or doing better or just would want to start to do. And this is really such an easy thing. When I, then I. So think of your own, rehearse it, don't forget to celebrate it, and hopefully you have just stepped into a new habit for yourself. Thanks for joining me today, and I look forward to our next podcast. Thanks to my guests for joining me today, and thank you for listening to the Health Fuse podcast with Deb Friesen, MD. I hope you'll share this episode with colleagues, friends, and family members who are interested in diving deeper into meaningful and relevant health and wellness topics. I look forward to the next conversation and will share another episode of Health Views with you soon. Take good care. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. The discussion reflects the opinions of the speakers and is not intended to represent Kaiser Permanente policy. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. The content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information is at the listener's own risk. Listeners should not disregard or delay obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professionals.